with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about saving the best and burning the rest. And today we are coming at you, I was about to say live, not live, pre-recorded from an actual studio. An actual studio, a secret bunker location. Yes. That has been acoustically treated for your your auditory pleasure. It's really exciting. This is a new, a new venture and we are not alone. Today we are joined by the one and only... Darren Pratt. So good Hi. to have you. You mean, you, I was going to say, you guys don't record in a studio normally? <laughs> no. <laughs> the bulk of our episodes have been recorded in Jesse's lounge room. My church office when I was in New Zealand was another one. Anywhere can be a studio yes. if you close your eyes and imagine. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you're right. And don't film. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's actually kind of funny because the very first podcast we ever recorded was literally sitting on my couch sharing a microphone between the two of us that's that's mm. that's where we came from and, and sharing a, i think we were sharing like a apple like an iphone oh, headphone yeah. cable each it was very so ghetto <laughs> well, yeah. i must say guys i've enjoyed burning the haystack with you guys i've enjoyed listening and I, i'm not sure if it made me sane or insane but <laughs> <laughs> either way i'll take it as a compliment <laughs> no but no it, it it really does make my day to hear you guys and the guests you have talking and just discussing relevant things about the church in general and i think it's very much needed so thank you oh thank you Ed. thank you i think it's been a while we've talked about having you on a few times we actually named dropped you in the last episode too and so yeah but it's it's really exciting and the fact that we can do this in person that the stars have aligned and we're all living in the same, well, sort of, we're all living in the same city. You're pretty much living here if you work here every day. <laughs> well, they say yeah. that Sydney is now going to incorporate Newcastle. That's where they're heading towards. So mm, I am in the outskirts of Sydney and I am in the Greater Sydney Conference. And who would have known that we would all work? I mean, when you started, you guys were in New Zealand. We and were. <laughs> Statistically, it's extremely unlikely that we would ever end up in the same place together. And yet... It's happened consistently over and over again. It's almost like there's somebody at work <laughs> with God a greater moves plan. in mysterious uh, ways. Yes. So it's very, we're very grateful for that. So that's, that's yes. really cool. Darren, we have gotten you on for the podcast for a reason. Because over the years, Josh and I have both observed. In fact, I think quickly, my earliest memory of you as a teenager, not you as a teenager, me as a teenager, I don't think I go back quite that far was the balloon animals. I think that was the first memory that I have of you at a big camp somewhere. It might have been South New South Wales it where I grew up. Or New Zealand. Oh, I don't know. But um, yeah. I've been to most big camps across Australia and indeed the around the world, and I've done all sorts of things, camperies, camps, events. I'm there. So. i got to say, the life that you lead, whilst I'm sure it's very challenging and very busy, also looks like a lot of fun. Oh, children's ministries the reason why i do it i guess is it's fun and yeah. you get with the kids and you just roll with what's happening and my i guess growing up there was this pastor that did fun things in his sermons and i said i want to be like that mm. when i preach when i do things i want to make it fun so 
I'll often twist the sermon. I call it twisting the gospel. I'll twist the <laughs> sermon. So we've seen some of those. And my idea is if the one-year-old and the 99-year-old get something at it and out of it, then I've made a difference. Mm. Yeah, I find that really fascinating because, you know, as as we all know and as all of our listeners know, if you've been part of the church that you'll, you'll have observed we often box in certain age groups. Okay, this is the kids thing. We're going to throw that little bone to the kids, maybe in the church service of the kids story, and then oh, when we get to the uh, the sermon, oh, that's that's the grown up part, you know. And I've I've seen churches as Why well. Why is that? that? Well, that's 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 the thing, <laughs> you know. I've seen churches who will actually send their kids over to the kids ministries department for the sermon, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's sort of like okay, you guys go over there. You do the kid thing, and the and the adult thing is is over here. Yet the research I read, Sticky Faith Research, says that the best thing a church can do. And sorry, my speech is not quite right today because I am missing a front tooth. That's a story in itself. Should have seen um, the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm a bit like a pirate today. I'm glad you're not filming (laughs) it wouldn't be a good look i think people would enjoy that but anyway (laughs) (laughs) so please forgive me but yeah i was saying the research they looked at everything about church and what kept kids from a church perspective and the closest they came to finding the silver bullet was where churches do all age intergenerational worship where everyone participates and feels welcome So I've seen that done in some place. I must say, um, Castle Hill, I'm going to give them a shout out. Woo! They do it really well most weeks when I've been there and, and they mentor the kids in worship. So it's not just where the adults will do it. You sit down and watch, mm. they get the kids up and they sit down and mentor them. Mm. I've seen that. And all the families are involved in some way mm. in, in doing worship there. And that church is jam packed full and overflowing because mm. of that. So I will say before I know Josh. This is this is Josh's church. I know, we, should, we should put a qualification. <laughs> it's a great church. Yeah, I love, I love it. But one thing that I have noticed, and I've been going to Castle Hill as well, is that not only is there really great intergenerational worship, but the worship is really good. Like mm. just in terms of excellence, and I, I know that that's not always a value for certain churches. They want to value involvement over you know you know making everything professional. But I don't know if this has been an intended thing or it's just a, a byproduct of the philosophy that you have at Castle Hill. But I've been blown away by what the level of excellence that teenagers can produce yes. in worship at, at your church. I, don't know, I can't name another church that has such excellent worship from such like relatively junior musicians and singers and worship leaders and preachers and storytellers and all that sort of stuff. It's quite amazing. And, and let me tell you, the fruit is, I'm over there, like I should get a frequent follower membership or something, because <laughs> I'm over there regularly because they're baptising kids yeah, and, and young adults because it's working. And yeah, you guys baptised heaps last year. I don't know how many, but, but there was heaps that you baptised last year and I was always there and, and already done a few this year. And I love what you're doing because it shows the research is working in that when the adults and the kids rub shoulders together, it benefits everyone, but especially the kids. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an awesome group of people. And I feel like, I mean, I've only been there for two years, so this stuff was all well in place before I got there. But I think it's like they do seem to prioritise 
And I guess this, I'm like learning from the church, but they do seem to prioritize that wide involvement, but it's a consistent wide involvement. So that's where like this excellence comes from this place of getting everyone involved, but not just like a once off for the year for a special event. It's like all the time. So you sort of get this excellence by like constantly thinking, how can we get these young people involved? And then they grow and you're like, then it doesn't become a, we have to get them involved. It's we want to get them involved because they're awesome and we love having them involved. It's a really cool space to be in. I'm really enjoying it a lot. Thanks, I'm not guys. here to talk about up. Castle Hill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is the Why Castle Hill Church is Great podcast. Thanks. No, no I, uh, well, look, enough enough about my church. Even <laughs> but, um, Send the check, Pablo. <laughs> senior, senior pastor, Pablo, the man. But look, Darren Terrence, tell us a bit about yourself. You know, like, I mean, we've heard a little bit. You work in children's ministry here in the Greater Sydney Conference. But uh, tell us about you. Tell us about the real Darren Nock. <laughs> no, what do you want to know? I am a very interesting person, I guess, because... I am currently the Vice President of the Central Coast Poultry Club, the Vice President of the Balloon Twisters and Artists Association of New South Wales. Wow. I am also, of course, my hobby is both twisting balloons and chooks and growing gardens. So mm. I'm currently on the garden committee across, across the school, across the road at Warunga. Wow. That always says where we are, I guess. Are you allowed to say where we are? <laughs> I guess so. That's right. <laughs> People are going to be listening to this you afterwards. You bunker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody must know. That's <laughs> nah, all good. But yeah, yeah so I, I'm a, I enjoy a wide variety of hobbies, and I guess it's the mindfulness moments that um, help keep me going. And I've now been a pastor for 30 years this year. Wow. Uh, big celebrations coming up. Yeah. Of course, I've been involved in regular... King's Kids and Arnie Shack and Robin Kimberly Hulliston, what they do with their studio up in Kurrabong. So we've been going there for 20 years with episodes there. Mm. And that's seen all across the world. And yeah. kids are coming to Jesus all the time. Mm. I had one little kid over in Tasmania that went up there just recently and said, I gave my heart to Jesus when Arnie didn't appeal. That's a puppet. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Said, and you're doing Balloon Kaboom. Can you come and baptize me? Amazing. So Very good. Yeah. Amazing. So that's inspiring. I'm married to Lisa. She's a teacher and also a pastor's kid. Mm. And she comes from a long generation of pastors. Like my son's a pastor as well, Andrew. Big shout out to Andrew, my son, who's up at Kingscliff. And he's a pastor. He's actually, I think, a five-generation pastor on Lisa's side. Whoa, that's so cool. So the Pasco line is just like, they keep churning out pastors. So, So my wife said, I'll never marry a pastor. And I'll never live in Kurumbong. <laughs> and I think God's got a sense of humor because we're living now in the Pasco 100-plus-year-old year, house in Kurumbong. And, yeah, that's where we are. My daughter, Madison, I love dearly, is a nurse. She's just graduated and just started as a registered nurse. Mm. So for two adult children, I have a grandchild on the way. Woo-hoo! So I'm about to become a granddad. Looking forward to what that might look like as well. I... I guess I'm passionate about things. I'm passionate about my church, my God. I would love to see the church continue to be relevant and grow in relevance in our community. And I love trying to bridge that, the church Mm. and the community, finding ways to bridge that. And I guess Balloons Poultry Club is part of that. So, Mm. Can I just say, this has got nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but... (laughs) I just want to quickly make note of the fact that you have hobbies, which I know sounds very inconsequential. Everybody has hobbies, most people assume, but 
if you're not a pastor, you'd be surprised how many pastors just don't really have hobbies. Mm. Yeah. You know, like their whole life is pastoral ministry. And I, I see so many older pastors who retire and then they have nothing to do. Yes. Yep. Literally. And, and the fact that you actually have passions and hobbies outside of your pastoral ministry has clearly also been a benefit to your pastoral ministry. Would you agree with that? Oh, the greatest trauma and stresses is going home and you debrief by talking to the chooks. It's cheap psychology. I tell my, I tell my wife, it's cheap. It's all these food bills. I say, it's cheap psychology, Lisa. And they listen and they don't break confidence. And yes. I feel blessed and restored when I've spent an hour or two with them. Yeah. So often... If I say I'm on a post online, I'm talking to the chooks, that means I had a really, really, really hard day and I'm really stressed and just leave me alone and I'll be fine. Mm. So, yeah, the hobbies, I think every pastor needs to have good hobbies. My other one I like doing is the third hobby is I love reading. Any book in the area of children, parenting, mm. both in the church and in our bookstores. Um, yeah, for me, visiting somewhere like Kinnikania in the centre of Sydney and having a, a I'm allowed to say coffee? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to burn in the haystack or not. But, um, it's almost mandatory on this podcast to I think so. talk about coffee. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, yeah, sitting down for coffee and, and a good book and just reading for me is one of the best things mm. I can do as well. So, By the way, for our international listeners, Darren. Chooks. Chooks, chooks are chickens, yes. Right. <laughs> and Kurumbong is like the. I don't know, maybe like the Adventist hub Adventist of Australia. Mecca. The Adventist Mecca, yeah. yeah it's where like our Avondale University is. Our it's kind of like Adventist the education. Loma Linda of Australia it, it, it almost. Is, yeah. Yeah. If you split Warunga, if you if you combine Warunga and Kurungbong together, that would definitely be Loma Linda. Yes, yes. Yeah. So anyway, just a so you had a point of reference. there, Avondale, which is now university. Yeah. Woohoo. So yeah, Avondale. And I live right there outside the gates, just up the road in SN Haskell's old house. House. Wow. Oh, really? Goodness. So Ellen White lived around the corner. Yep. SN Haskell lived along Freeman's Drive. Yep. We've still got persimmon trees that are bearing that he planted. Wow. 126 year old persimmon trees that are on the property estate there. So, yeah, so we're immersed in the history of Kuramong. I We own, our family owns an heirloom, Ellen White's writing desk that she wrote Desire of Ages on. So, Wow. I, I would be hard-pressed to find anybody more Adventist than you and your family, <laughs> Yeah, sure about that. I, <laughs> some days I'm called a heretic, so... <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you do drink coffee, so there's that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I drink black white, so there's no sugar. So uh, yes. it's more Adventist with no sugar. 100%. The Australian drink, I would say. Yeah. The Australian coffee. Yes. Very much so. And Darren is also famous here in Australia for his soapbox moments. Right. Which are his written blog posts on your Facebook page. I think you also have a website yes. for them. And, you know, today perhaps we're giving you the biggest opportunity for a soapbox moment because it goes for a whole hour, you know, this show. So, yeah, you can, yeah I actually you can just reach it. Go yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. Look out. Look out. Uh, I'm, I'm coming. But yeah. Yeah, I actually won the Gabe Reno Award at Manifest for my soapboxes. I remember cool. that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's lovely to recognize. And by the way, I've been dragged into offices and I've copped black for my soapboxes. Well, the church doesn't generally like its pastors to be too outspoken from yes, what I've yep. understood. Yes, but for me, <laughs> I'll take that. For me, what you see is what you get. Yep. It's all out there. There's no nothing hidden. I'm Darren. I want to be authentic. I want to be real. I want to be relevant. And I want to speak what 
many people are thinking but are too scared to voice. Mm. I want to be that voice. I've actually been, also been involved, of course, in child protection and safe place services. I've written a book called The Predators We Trust, which is on Amazon. And Ooh. I just Googled the other day. It's actually in Dimex, Australia. Oh, wow. It's a little book and they're charging 40 bucks for it. But it's just trying to help churches realise how to be safe and protect their kids. Mm. So mm. We'll pop a link for that in the in the show notes, I yeah. think. If you Google The Predators We Trust, you'll find it. Sarah McDougall and I did co-offered it. She's Ooh. a... Actually, took it Sarah on one day. She's a powerful voice in the US for protecting women against domestic violence and children. Yeah. Well, look, I, I feel like, we're, look, we're here to talk about kids' ministries primarily, but I also feel like this could be a great opportunity to sort of tap into that soapbox moment and see what's on your mind. So, Darren, I'm going to leave this to you. What today? <clears throat> what... Would you like to talk about, do you want to go down the kids' ministries pathway for now, or do you want to go down the soapbox moment, the unfamiliar territory for me? Hmm. What would you like to do? Should I find a box somewhere in this room? <laughs> 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 okay, <a> box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, soapboxes really are kids' ministries. Mainly it's about parenting. It's about how to keep... My biggest thing that I want to get across to people in my soapboxes is mainly what you can do to grow resilient Christians who last the journey and that we don't lose them from our church. Now, I know that there's no guarantees, but and I guess I'm a bit selfish here because I want to keep my two kids. Mm. And so right from a young age when I was born, I said, what can I do better to grow my kids to be resilient Christians over time who stand the test and the troubles of life but are still trusting God no matter what? So my soapboxes are basically all about that. Awesome then. Well, why don't we go there, okay? Yep. Resilient young people who grow up to have faith in Jesus, they can operate in the world authentically mm -hmm. with confidence and, you know, they can get through the things that life has to throw at them. Over the years, in your ministry, in your experience, maybe talk us through some of the things that you've discovered, I'm just thinking in particular of parents right now yep. who, you know, many of our listenership are having kids. I mean, Josh, you've got a toddler right now. Mm. She's growing up fast, I'm assuming, too yes. fast. <laughs> yes, she's in yep. full toddler mode. She's running full speed, jumping, dancing, singing. Let me tell you, tomorrow they'll be graduating and starting work. Yeah, wow. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. So yeah. talk to talk to the parents in the room. Let's let what if you had them in the room and you said, okay, these are the basic things that you need to know in order to raise a functioning, passionate, compassionate, strong, confident, a young Christian. What would you say to them? Yes. Well, Josh, you're the parent in the room. I said parents in the room. So yep. so Josh is here. I'm going to speak to Josh. <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all those out there listening to the haystack, I guess. If you had to boil all I've studied and researched down to a few simple things you can do, here's what I would say to do. From a church perspective, I discussed it. The big thing you can do, churches, is intergenerational worship. Mm -hmm. And second is like it, mentor your kids. Make sure that they have five good, authentic mentors in their life. And parents, find those natural mentors that are around you. They're there. They're often an adopted grandparent. They're often an uncle or an aunt, a pathfinder leader, 
which Pathfinders is, of course, like Scouts, for those who don't know, or Adventurers, a school chaplain, a school teacher. It's not hard to find those big five. Yet most kids can't even name one. Mm. So immerse your kids in a web of good, safe mentors. And the idea of that is when the kids get older to the teenage years and they start to think that their parents are stupid, which they will. Um, oh, no. <laughs> sorry, Josh. <laughs> okay. They reach teenage years and they just want to kick the kick back a bit and sort of um, rebel a bit, which is natural and expected and actually is a good sign that they're growing into healthy young teens. I know that those five mentors are there and still speaking into their lives, mm. maintaining a non-anxious presence. So these, these mentors that are in their lives are mm. there for the journey, mm. not just when they get 12 or 15 or 18 or 21. Mm. They're there. And those five are still in my kids' lives now. Oh. So, so th- those mentors are there. And you ask my kids, they'll probably have to name them. Yeah. Mm. They were just friends we did things with, Christmas, barbecues, hobbies, interests did things together, meals, all those things. They're just there journeying with the family. Yeah, because I was going to ask, okay, let's say that you're in the shoes of somebody who would like to be a mentor. You know, what do you do? Do you just go up to a kid and say, hey, can I mentor you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming that's probably not how you should go about it. You'll probably be escorted out of the church. (laughs) No, what you do is, number one, is you just learn the kid's name, number one, and start saying, hey, Mm -hmm. it's good to see you here today with their name, is knowing their name the big thing and church members most kids think you don't know the name yeah yeah and so learn the kids names call them by name number one and then begin to ask how's your week and it's just a friendship grows how's your week and what's happening in your life and and do that every sabbath i come to church but also during the week somewhere as well when things happen catch up visit yeah have a hobby. The big thing you do is a shared hobby, especially with boys. As get teenage years, it's not the direct confrontation that works. It's a, alongside. Mm. So you're building a model airplane or doing an engine or whatever, and you're tinkering in the shed alongside. Mm. That's the best mentoring for boys ever. Mm-hmm. You're alongside mentoring and you're doing something with your hands. Yeah. That's why, that's why like Pathfinders and stuff is really good. I mean, like, I don't know when I was y- younger, I kind of made fun of it a bit, but like now doing it in like a chaplaincy role, just like in our club, like a little wood carving on her mm-hmm. and like just sitting beside like one of the boys who like, it can be pretty hard to talk to like sometimes just cause he's, you know, so high energy and that kind of thing. But he was just focused on carving whatever he was making. I don't even know, but yeah. just cause he's just doing something like relatively mindless and just being able to sit and just chat about all sorts of stuff while he's sitting there chipping away at this piece of wood and like, mm. you know, for, you know, you can do it for, what, a couple of hours, really. Mm. I mean, I was kind of going around to the different activities, but still just an opportunity. I was like, this is so good to just have this opportunity to sit down and just chat while, while they're being a part of this. It was really powerful. Mm. If I ever do a PhD, my research will be the impact of pathfinding on Euphrates. Wow. That'd be um, great Because um, when I go to church and ask how many of you are country pathfinders, most hands go up. Mm. And it's the best natural intergenerational mentoring program the church has yes so yeah and they've just had a campery and the kids have come back so stoked from mm. campery and the hundreds of decisions made there yeah lifelong decisions yeah so, and it, it's a bit of a smaller number but the other thing that i've noticed about pathfinders is the amount of kids who will go on to become counselors 
and, yes. and, and, you know, master guides and all that sort of stuff. And they end up actually becoming young leaders in mm-hmm. their churches, not just in Pathfinders, but in other arenas of the church Very because much of so. that. Yeah. So I guess it's the most undervalued program we have yeah. in keeping our kids and growing our kids and keeping our adults too, by the way, because mm. they keep mm. turning up and being involved. So, yeah, get involved in Pathfinders. You want to get mentor and begin mentoring, get involved in Pathfinders. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Start a club at your church if they don't have one, whatever. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think that's the thing. A lot of people think that, oh, no, only the parents and the kids are involved in yes. Pathfinders. But, man, like every time I've been a part of a club, even though like I don't have any kids in the club, people are just so grateful to have you there. Mm. And I, so you see a lot of need. A lot of these parents just put in so much effort and they're already working like, you know, 40-hour-plus yeah. weeks plus being parents. Like, man, these people are amazing. Yeah, I remember when I was a pathfinder chaplain in new zealand the the attitude was the same you know it was only the parents who were involved in pathfinders and as soon as the kids graduated or left pathfinders so did the parents it was the most unsustainable thing and the best thing that we found was when we found a young leader she was the same age as me and she said yep i'll be a pathfinder leader she was just a teacher you know so not a not a mum not mm-hmm. a you know related to any of the kids in the club. Yep, but they loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, wow. Hold on. So that's the church side. Parents. What can the parents do? And there's a few things there, but the biggest one is be authentic and be intentional. The thing that authentic is is not just what the kids see at Sabbath when you dust off your Bible and turn up to church and look all churchy. That's got to go into your home, got to go into your marriage, it's got to go into your life. When you've had a really hard day at the office and things are down, how does God work for you then? And the faith that kids adopt is not the seventh day faith, it's the seven day faith. Right. right. So, so when kids see church doing stuff on Sabbath, but then it doesn't carry over into the week, that's when they say, well, why do this mm. when that doesn't actually make a difference in their lives? That's when the hypocrisy comes in right there. Mm. So be real, be authentic. I'm not saying be perfect. Mm. because, But we need to have the audacity to say sorry to our kids when we do stuff up mm. and to show grace to our kids when they stuff up. That's a big thing in keeping our kids. And there's a push right there in the church They're saying, oh, we need to do family worship, family worship. Everyone's got to do family worship. And I said, well, what's family worship? Because we haven't, we've sort of assumed the home is doing it, but we haven't been intentional about it. And the danger is that, oh, we've got to sit down, we've got to do a prayer, we've got to sing some songs, we've got to do a reading out of Ellen White or similar and take an hour and do this. And the kids are bored, parents are bored, and <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, it yeah. doesn't work. We've got to realise the day that our pa- Families are busy, busier mm-hmm. than ever and, and more disconnected than ever, even though we have technology. So what I say is follow what I call the D6 principle. That is Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So be authentic, number one. But number two, it says talk about him when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. What I see that saying is, it's not so, it didn't say have family worship. And we don't want to guilt our parents saying you have to do family worship. And parents, that's coming. I can see the, the, what do you call it, 
the harbingers of people saying, do family worship <laughs> yeah. like this. And they're going to give you a script almost to do. Resist it. Mm. D6 is these the moments when you're driving to school, have a prayer with the kids while you go to the car, a mm. God moment. Or do grace before you eat and engage in conversation around the tables. Oh, the power of family meals. There's so much research mm. around what family meals do to pass on faith, but also pass on values and to stop kids from getting involved in at-risk factors. Mm. And if you go to disciple.org.au, the union disciple page, you go to families and children resources, you'll see a lot of books I've written around this showing the research I'm quoting today. So you want to say, Darren, where's the research? It's all in those booklets I've written. So I read, 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 write a booklet, which is short and easy for parents to read around different topics. Yeah, the D6 moments are mealtimes, what I call the twilight zone, when, especially when they're younger, the kids are going to bed, reading them a story, oh, yeah. viewing their day, the power of story. There's so much around the power of story and reading a story to the kids, not just a Bible story, fairy stories, whatever. Reading them a story before they go to bed, powerful spiritual growth motivator for the kids doing that. And, and just hearing their day and a short prayer. Mm. So it's, it's finding moments in the daily rhythms of life and the busyness and the craziness to seize those God moments is the way to grow spiritually resilient kids. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I've even found like, I mean, I'm definitely not a master of parenting at all. I've only been doing it two and a half years, whatever I <laughs> say. But like, I'm just like the patterns, I think. I've already noticed, like, I like to pray with my daughter just on the way to daycare. It's like, yep. you know, a few minute drive. It's like a short drive, but pretty much she's like, she wants to listen to the wiggles on the drive. So listen to the wiggles and then I'll pause it and I'll pray. But every now and then I will forget. And before we get there, she'll like yell at me. She'll be like, pray, we got to pray. pray. And I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, you're totally right. Like, how, yeah. oh, I totally forgot today. Let's, let's pray now, you know? And so like, she has mm. seen that pattern and adopted it and even reminds me, which is cool because she's suddenly like, but I think it's just uh, what I have seen and I guess echoing what you're saying is if the kids see it's important to you, like important to you, it will more likely to be important to them. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, maybe their faith is important, but they don't necessarily know how to intentionally show that it's important mm. in a real and authentic way. Mm. But yeah, I think it's just actually showing that, Hey, this is, mm. this is a big deal. This is important to me. Yep. I'm going to try and do it and in my everyday. On. And, and the church has, been in danger in the past of trying to separate the sacred from the secular. Right. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Whereas when you read scriptures, it says worshiping every day is worship. Mm. Every day is sacred. Yes. Every day are moments with God. So mm. your your life is a living sacrifice in Romans, wholly acceptable. So it's it's all those daily habits. And yeah, your daughter will keep you honest and say, You haven't prayed, Daddy. Yeah. So but yeah, when she gets older though, those moments become spiritual anchor points mm. on which she can hang her faith. So mm. develop those habits and rituals now, and there's so much to talk about rituals. Other churches, other denominations have what they call the liturgical year where they go yep. through different seasons and they do certain rituals. And our denomination doesn't really have that so much, but there's so much around the spiritual growth that comes through rituals mm. and going through those daily rhythms of life and, and seizing them for God, which will make a huge difference down there. The other thing I'm hearing is don't live a compartmentalized life. You know, I think this is such a temptation for us in 
busy Western world, you know, when it comes to the things that we don't have time for, we often outsource them to mm-hmm. school, to your you know, chaplaincy team, to church. You know, if, if a kid needs help with their maths, I'm not going to sit down and work with them. I'm going to hire a tutor. A tutor. Yeah, you know, we're busy. You know, yeah. we're bu- yeah, exactly. So we're busy. So and we want the and we want, we want the best for our kids. Yes, and so we hire the best. Yeah, but unfortunately, with that, we've outsourced faith as well, as you said. The school and the church can only pass enough faith along to inoculate the kids against taking it seriously in general. Mm. So you know where our kids leave? It's because often as parents, we have not lived that authentic life. We've outsourced it. And we're not living the authentic life. And, and we are the best pastor mm. our kids will ever have. Mm. And we need to realise that and realise that we do. We're passing on faith. Whether mm. we like it or not, we're passing something on. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember when I first arrived in New Zealand, getting into it a little bit, there was a church that I worked at where the parents just begged me to bring the kids back. I was the youth pastor. You know, they mm-hmm. begged me to bring the kids back to church. And it was, you know, a few years of peeling back the layers of relationships and interpersonal dramas and things like that. And to realize the church wasn't the thing that the kids really needed. The kids needed healing with their parents. Dad or mum or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. such and such has gone and had an affair with such and such. And now there's a broken family and there's a stepmom or a stepdad in the picture or, you know, such and such was a really hard case, you know, growing up. And now the kids just hate church and hate the, you know, whatever so many different stories but all came back to that central fulcrum of broken familial relationship Mm -hmm. and no amount of me coming by having pizza taking them out to coffee bringing them to a youth group going on a trip none of that was really gonna do it for Mm. for any of these now young adults it would help but yeah sure they just wanted their dad yeah. Or their mum, or they want a mum and dad back together. Yeah. And and there's research around when parents break up, and let me tell you, there's good pe- reasons why sometimes parents need to break up. Don't don't get me wrong, and I could do a whole soapbox, and I do, on abusive homes. But when a marriage breaks up, the kids have an existential crisis because their reason for existence has suddenly fallen apart. And that includes God. So that's when we need mentors to lean in. Often we as a church say, oh, the divorce was messy, we take sides, oh, we don't know what to say, so we don't go anywhere near them. That's when we need the church to lean in, not lean back. Mm. Lean in, especially for the kids, and mentor and be there and be alongside. And and we can't replace the dad but we can, or the mum, but we can at least be there and, and say, hey, we're here for you, we love you, and, and we're here for you no matter what. And often that helps them through that existential crisis. And I guess the best thing the church can do is run awesome parenting programs and awesome marriage enrichment programs so we stop the marriages breaking up in the first place. Mm. So you're right. We need to go back and look at the root causes rather than the Band-Aid solutions. And often we as a church are good at throwing money at Band-Aids without realising that a child has made their decision if they're going to stay or leave before they reach the age of 14, mm. which we call the 4 to 14 window. I quote that a lot in my soapboxes. By the time you get to 14, the window is closing of opportunity and the parent's role moves from a direct influence into more of a coaching role. You can still make a difference, but it's not quite the same. And so often we throw our money at, and I think, why don't we do great youth programs? Shout out to our youth guys out there. We love you. But 
if we're throwing money at youth and aren't investing in the 4 to 14 window, then we're just fighting, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. So, so we need to invest young and often and early. One of my most recent soapboxes was the greatest evangelist potential in your church is in your beginner's Sabbath school. Mm. I invest there, make it bright, make it relevant, make it sensory, um, make it inviting, and get the parents in there with the kids, and you will set a foundation that will stay with those kids for, and the parents for mm. life. Mm. It's amazing. So, I mean, four to 14, pretty young. You know, I think we, we envision a lot of people making, I don't know, getting baptized and all that sort of thing around 16, 17, 18. Yep. And I mean, the, yeah, a lot of the even st- stuff we seem to push for and celebrate the most in the church is like adults, you know, 25, 30, 40 we year celebrate olds. Celebrate the testimonies. Yeah. And look, I'm not trying to diminish those. Obviously, they're, they're good. Great. They're fantastic, you know. But yeah, that four to 14 window, that's. That's pretty young. Like, it seems like that's a lot of pressure to try and, like... The moral foundations, according to Barna, are set by the age of seven. Wow. The moral outlook on life. And, and it doesn't change much after that. Mm. Wow. So the concrete is wet, and then it starts to set after the age, age of... Yeah, after 9, 10, 11, it's pretty well set. So, yeah, that's a lot of um, pressure on me as a dad. Mm. But what it says is I need to... And often, at that age, dad's busy trying to get the house and pay off a car and get the mortgage paid and we want to have good things for our kids so we want to buy the latest whiz-bang technology. Often the kids want the latest whiz-bang technology and the parents pay for that. Read the book Teen Brain, by the way, which is in our bookstores by David Gillespie because it really is an eye-opener about Mm. what technology does to our kids. He says we're handing our kids a drug. Um, yeah. so. Oh man, I, I'm seeing I'm seeing like one, two year olds being able to navigate apps on their parents' phones in a way yeah. that is absolutely like, where did you learn to do that? How um, can you do that? They're born with an iPhone in their hand yeah. and sales of dummies or pacifiers, we call them, which used to be dummies, you get the dummy and the kid sucks on that. Now, the sales have dropped on that worldwide because um, an iPhone is a better pacifier. <laughs> No, I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, I and now you. Um, you see some prams that have the, actually the iPad holder built into the pram, yeah, and the kids yeah. can watch their show while the mum's pushing them down the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could do a whole haystack on just on technology, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, I got my iPhone, I got my iWatch, I got my iPad. I love technology, but mm. variety, balance, and moderation is key, mm. especially when the kids. I mean, um, it's about being responsible, right, and being able to give them a piece of technology that they can handle at the right time and giving them the tools to be able to deal with it. And I very much doubt that a toddler is going to be able to make wise, informed decisions about how long they're going to be using the technology, what they're going to be using it for. I don't know. Maybe they'll use it forever. If you maybe there's some them, yeah. super toddlers out there, but I yeah. haven't met well, any. Well, the research says the average Australian child spends 40 hours per week. Yeah. The average Australian child in front of some sort of screen. That's wow. a full-time job, man. Yeah. So... I have a problem with that, especially when we could do a hobby together, grow a garden, go for a walk, hike in the mountains, go fishing. Mm. There's so much out there. And and doing those hobbies with your kids is time never wasted. And even I must promote the idea of playing board games. Oh, oh board you've got, games you've got are huge. Oh, yeah. Say more, yeah. say more. <laughs> um, and there's so many, with Kickstarter, there's so many awesome oh. board games out there. And mum, dad laughing with the kids playing yeah. a board game is, again, 
there's huge, huge spiritual growth motivators around just playing good board games. Look, I I want to I want to ask a bit of a a bit of a curly question. I've talked about kids ministry before, particularly like to people who don't come from a church background, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I get a bit of pushback sometimes from people in the church as well, and they'll they'll say, "Look, you know, again, what, like what I'm saying, four to fourteen, it's pretty young. Like, wouldn't you say like all this kind of stuff, especially with churches doing all these big programs for kids? Like, is it indoctrination? Is it brainwashing? Like, is it fair on the kids to like?" really like flood them with all this stuff before they're old enough to, I don't know, I guess they say old enough to make a decision. I don't know. How would you respond to that sort of pushback? Yeah, and I've had that pushback. People say, why are we brainwashing our kids? And I wouldn't call it brainwashing. My pushback would be everything out there is influencing our kids. Mm. Uh, And there's so many things that, well, as Barna says, the enemy has plans for our kids. Mm. The question is, do we? Mm. And the question is, what kind of life you want your kid to end up with, I would hope would be a kind of wholesome, authentic life that promotes compassion and kindness and love and acceptance of everyone and living a really good life. And what I've seen from my experience is that the Christian life is a pretty good life in the package Mm -hmm. of, of how to live as an authentic person. And if the research is saying that the child makes a decision whether liked or not before they reach their teenage years, then I think we need to be more authentic and, and a bit more real in that space. There's research around the fact that even kids in secular schools who know nothing about God, when they're asked to draw God, have a pretty good idea of what to draw. Really? So I've read that research. Human beings are hardwired to connect to the transcendent. Something out there. They're hardwired to seek understanding, to seek that growth. And whether liked or not, they're going to grow. They're going to, there's a spiritual capacity in them that is hardwired to connect. And that happens from a very young age. That's the way God made us. So I wouldn't call it indoctrination. I would call it teaching our children how to live an authentic life. Now, I know of some kids, parents that have said to the kids and they've done wrong, go to your room, the Ten Commandments post up in the room read the Ten Commandments and work out where you've gone wrong. <laughs> now, I've had parents That's, tell me that. And yeah, they really want to say, well, why, why do you have a lost my child from the church? Oh, because yeah. we, the Ten Commandments are important. That's what I call indoctrination. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I call spiritual abuse. But I believe that the Christian life is one of the best lives that you can live. And mm-hmm. if I get to the end of my life and I find out there's no heaven, there's no God, well, it's been a pretty good life anyway. So that's what that's probably my kickback is that it's it's a pretty good authentic life to live a Christian life. So I yeah. think I think some of the pushback I, I think I understand some of the pushback because like I mean, we're not comparing apples to apples here. There are a wide variety of different Christian faiths and denominations and even within those different yes. those right wing, left wing, whatever. A hundred percent. There's extremes mm-hmm. in, in that area. And I think that's why your perspective is really valuable because whilst you're very strong on, yeah, you know, let's bring up the children in a way that is, you know, healthy and wholesome and we're instilling great values in there. You're also really passionate about or against, I suppose, spiritual abuse, church abuse, that sort of thing. Big time. Spiritual abuse is one of the worst forms of abuse out there for our kids. And I speak out against that regularly on my first soapbox as well. So, yeah. What would you say, okay, like you've touched on that a little bit. Where's, where's the line, you think, as, a, as an outsider looking in on a, on a family 
let's say? What would be some of the the telltale signs to figure out the line has blended from raising the kid in a Christian home with Christian values to this kid is being indoctrinated? How how could you tell if you were just, you know, going to church with somebody? Yeah, I'd say if the kid has a works-based mentality that I've got to do things to be good enough for God, that's very, very fronting. And if a child is scared of the last days because they've been heard all about the end time scenarios of what's going to happen and I've got to be good to get there, again, that is is spiritually abusive. And I've grown up seeing that happen and seen so many kids leave because the church did that. I guess highlighting legalism and law over grace and acceptance and love and forgiveness is also spiritual abuse. So they're the, they're the big ones that I think I would say, yep, those guys that say indoctrination, I'd say, yep, you're on the mark there because that stuff is evil and it creates an insecurity and a child that is scared of God. And I will push back against that every time I see it happening. So I guess if you're teaching them, even if you are teaching them about the end times stuff or whatever, mm. I guess teaching it from a perspective of grace and victory Yep. You know, if you're starting but, in the right Jesus place. Jesus never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always mm. there along the journey. Mm. Um, he loves us. He accepts us. We are good enough for yeah. Jesus. He's, 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 he's good enough for what he's done for us. If I'm dying on the cross and he takes our sins and he throws them away and says, come and walk with me. Mm. And encouraging kids to have that journey yeah. is what I like and encourage kids what it means. I mean, my balloons, when you, my main text I say in my balloons, I've said this every single balloon I've twisted in thousands and thousands of balloons. My two texts are, he, in the New Testament, it's he that began a good work in you will complete it. And also in Ecclesiastes where it says he makes everything beautiful in his time. And that's you, boys and girls. God has a plan to twist and shape you into his amazing creation. Every single balloon I make, those texts come through. Mm. Awesome. I thought the text would have been, and like God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, you know. <laughs> but those ones are way better. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, I, I was told, by the way, by a church, and I won't, I won't name it, but I was told by a church back in my younger ministry that by doing balloons, I was giving kids the mark of the beast. <laughs> I could never work out exactly why. And how I that was really, I'm really curious as to the theological hurdles they had to jump through to get to that conclusion. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, I taught those kids how to twist balloons to go on the streets into the show and twist balloons and do clowning and some of those things to be creative. And most of those kids are teachers, pastors involved in a church one way or another today. Wow. Cool. Uh, even though I, and I took the flack, I said, okay. Let's see how this goes in 10, 20 years' time then. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it might have worked. At, yeah, they're walking the faith, they're walking the talk, and yeah. there's so much. We'll do another episode on creative arts and mm. the creative arts and how they grow kids spiritually. So, Ooh, that sounds yeah. like we have a part two already. <laughs> yeah, maybe part three and four. But yeah. yeah, no, but those texts are so powerful. And I think, like, thinking about that sort of, you know, that grace and victory mindset, I think... I think it actually connects really well with what you were saying before about like if you're teaching kids that God is actively involved in your everyday and you've experienced his grace and you give grace to your kids, they're going to see grace embodied in your everyday behavior. When you make yep. mistakes, you've got grace from Jesus. When they make mistakes, hey, you've got grace from Jesus and from me too. Yep. We're going to work this out. And so when they approach stuff like 
you know, learning about the end times or even yep. just learning about like the, the challenging questions in life, they're going to by default approach those from a healthier place, I mm. think, by the sounds of it, which is really awesome the way that that all works together, at least in my mind. So, yep, The best yeah. thing you can do as a parent is be what they call authoritative and that is not hitting over the head with it, but just being firm with the boundaries because mm. kids want to want to kick the boundaries and you need to make sure you're firm with those yep. and but also loving them and showing them what graceful parenting looks like. And because mm. the kids' first picture of God is through us as mm. mum and dad and the marriage. And so if we can show them what an authentic, and I'm not saying perfect, authentic mm-hmm. marriage looks like, a graceful, authentic marriage looks like, the picture of God is very strong in those early years of life, and that stays with them for life. Our picture of God is normally what our parents were like and what our marriage was like. And often when that goes wrong, got a lot of work to reform that picture. Mm. And you can get my brother Brendan on to talk about pictures of God. Yeah. Um, he's very good at that. So, mm. yep. Brilliant. Yes. We've not had Brendan on yet. I mean, Darren has a lot of brothers. <laughs> yes, I must say. <laughs> yeah, didn't go there. Point. You need to talk about your life. I didn't go back to my early life. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a family where both my mum and dad came from broken homes because of the war and whatever else, and both parents were divorced. A lot of brokenness in both my parents' homes. The churches, hear this, decided to send these two young people to Carmel College. (laughs) Now, a lot of people remember back then that that was a place where the young people went. The churches paid for them to go. So Mount Gambier Church, well done Mount Gambier, Mildura Church, well done Mildura, sent these two young adults to Carmel College, they met, fell in love, and decided that they were going to be authentic in how they raised their kids. I have four brothers who are pastors in up and down the east coast of Australia, and we could take over Tasmania, we reckon. And, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be difficult. <laughs> Shout out to Rick down there, the yeah. president, but uh, yeah, we're all coming. And now my son is a pastor and my niece is a pastor, a young pastor in one of our churches. So mm-hmm. my sister is a teacher at Mountain View Schools and my other brother, he's not a pastor, but we love him. Um, <laughs> shout out to Ray But Ray is probably the one, one of the most successful And generous and authentic businessmen I know And he's wow. doing fantastic work mm. In things like the Black Dog Institute And wow. all those sorts of things he's, Yeah, he's good at sharing funds And sharing his, his wealth with those sorts of things So we say that probably Ray is probably the most authentic And honest one of the family <laughs> in what he does yeah. But, um, but yeah, he's doing fantastic work Something about what parents did in their intentionality came through into the kids, and here mm-hmm. we are today. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, so cool. Well, that hour has flown by, Darren. Yeah. We are, coming are we finished? To, we are coming to the end of our... <laughs> we keep talking. Almost. I can't yeah, believe I it. It's flown it by. It feels like it's, we've just started. I just wanted to ask you, though, is there anything else that you wanted to add to our conversation that we haven't asked you about before we do bring this to to a close. I'd like to lead with a challenge to parents out there or would-be parents or grandparents, I guess mentors. Challenge everyone. (laughs) Here's my challenge and because often when I talk parents, I say, oh, there's so much and I feel so guilty and wish I'd known this 40 years ago when I was a young parent and I guess that's why I write in Soapbox. I'm trying to get it out there and, Mm. and, and change what's happening out there. But my challenge is 
what's the one thing that you can do in the, in the life of your home to turn your kids to catch and see a divine moment? Is that in your mealtime? Is that in your hobby time? Is that in your bedtime rituals or your breakfast rituals or your hobby rituals? What is the one thing you can do differently to point the hearts of your home to the divine and have one of those sacred moments? What it's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Would you say, is it ever too late to start doing that? Well, never too late. Never too late. And if kids have left and... We're losing between 50 and sometimes 90% of our kids. I mean, you quoted mm. those stats last week in your soapbox. Not, no, you're not. <laughs> hey, stack, not we, soapbox. We don't, we don't have soapboxes. <laughs> we get your soapbox. Um, no, in your hashtag last week, I, I heard the David Trim stats and what was going on. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, we're losing them. But what brings them back is parents who maintain a non-judgmental attitude. Right. Who keep going through the rituals of of who they are and, and being authentic, keep going to church and all those sorts of things, and also maintain a non-anxious presence and pray for their kids. That brings them back according to research. God's story of love and grace and redemption and reconciliation isn't over yet, and he wants to tell a story through your family. And if the kids are left, he still wants to tell a story. So, so don't give up. And sometimes I always think the kids leave the church, by the way, that they're condemned and finished and not going to make it. Sorry, no. Because I don't see in the Bible where it says that Jesus was a Seventh-day Adventist. (laughs) So while he might have had Adventist understandings, religion won't save your kids. I love my religion. I love being an Adventist, don't get me wrong. But Jesus saves, not the church. So commit your kids to Jesus. He will take your kids on a journey, which might be different to your journey. But I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be a bit, big shock when we see who turns up mm. and who's there. And almost like we need to get the Adventists and lock them into a corner so they don't <laughs> see the others because, yeah, sort of thing. they're going to have their own heaven. Might be too much know. to handle. But yeah, yeah, I think we need to realise that we just need to love our kids unconditionally no matter what they do yeah. or where they go and journey with them, and let God take the rest. That is so good. Oh, love it. All right, and one more question from me. I mean, that's great. I don't want to ruin it, but I just want to give like, okay, what's are there like three books off the top of your head that you're just like, want to recommend after today's podcast? Just, I know you read like a million a week. Yeah, but I'm reading yeah. all the time. and Yeah, but just even if it's three books just on the top of your mind at the moment that you think, man, The one that's still available in our... Christian bookstores would be by George Barner, Transforming Your Kids into Spiritual Champions. It was written in 2003, but it's still available and it's still, it, it changed the children's ministries world was that research. Wow, okay. So grab that and read that as a baseline. Yep. I guess the other one I recommended was David Gillespie's Teen Brain. Yep. Talk about what's happening in your kids and what technology is doing to your kids. So if you've got teenagers coming on, you want to say, well, what's going on there? That would be fantastic. And that's in your general bookstores. And it's still available in your general bookstores. And Maggie Dent's books. Shout out Maggie Dent. She's got one on bringing up boys and bringing up girls. Pretty authentic. She's Australian. She's got some pretty good advice in those about how to bring up boys and bring up girls. So Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So good. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful 
time. I have loved this episode. I'm going to, I already know I'm going to go back and listen to this like two or three times. And then in a few years, I'm going to listen to it again because there's been so much good stuff. So thank you so much for your time today, Darren. And really I'll say, guys, it. keep burning the haystack. Yep. <laughs> because we need it. Church needs you guys being authentic, being real and asking Digging under the haystack when no one else dares to dig. So, <laughs> yes. thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, absolute joy. Thank you so much, Darren. We really appreciate the time you spent with us today. And I'm sure it won't be the last time. Mm. I'm now in Sydney. Yeah. And whenever you want me to line up, just knock on my door <laughs> and I will make some time for you guys anytime. Looking forward yes. to it. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. So good to be back doing this again. And uh, leave a review, share it with a friend, do other stuff. I don't know. And that is Josh and Jesse and Darren out. 